How hard could self-storage be? There's no tennis. There's no toilets. Let's just get into it and let's diversify even more. And then we completely lost sight of the ball and completely lost sight of the deal. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And I want to thank my listeners from Missouri today for joining. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy. And I'm here with my featured guest, Sam Prim. Sam, are you ready to join the mission? I am ready to rock. I'm here with bells and whistles. All right, let's do it. Well, I want to introduce you to the audience. So let me just give a little background. Sam founded Faster Freedom to teach people just like him to quit their job. Wait, what? And become successful real estate investors and achieve that same freedom and independence in life that really everybody deserves. Sam, tell us a little bit about what you're doing and the unique value that you are bringing to this wonderful world. Yeah, appreciate it very much. So yeah, Faster Freedom, I founded that in 2020 with the mission of teaching people how to invest in real estate the right way. I have some experience that we may or may not get into. I've done a lot wrong and done some right as well. And I took a like kind of pull of the landscape and I saw a lot of people writing books and teaching other people on something that they did not do very much or did not do very well. And that made me start to post about it on social media. And I posted about my real experiences based on stuff that I was actually doing, wins, losses, and authentically you know, told my story through social media. And that seemed to catch fire from people because look on social media, you're going to see a lot of fake. You're going to see a lot of flexing. You're going to see a lot of Lamborghinis. You're going to see a lot of, a lot of people that are teaching or things that they didn't do or, you know, used to do. So that caught fire. I have 3 million followers on social media now, about three and a half years later, and developed Faster Freedom to teach people how to do it the right way based on my real life experiences with no fluff, no BS, and just the brass tacks of how you can tactically try to create freedom in your life. I mean, it's amazing number of, of followers. And why do you think that those people are following you? I mean, is it about yourself, your style, your personality, or is it about your method or is it about the community or is it something about real estate that makes people want to join? How would you describe that? Well, I think you hit them all in the head, honestly, because I haven't quite figured it out. Honestly, I don't, I never thought I'd be posting freaking TikToks. I had no idea that I'd have this many followers. I think that's part of it though. The word I get from most people, the number one word that I get from followers or students or everybody is authentic. And authenticity is something like I kind of alluded to earlier is a little bit rare, especially these days with the fakeness of what you can pretend to be happy on social media. Everybody's happy. Everybody got the best life ever. And I, I'm not that, you know, I'm a happy guy. I got an amazing family, but I show the wins, the losses, and I'm actually doing it. So many people wrote a book 10 years ago and are teaching on what that book teaches and they're not actually actively investing. We buy 300 houses a year. So I'm able to cascade that into like, hey, Novations are working right now, or this strategy and marketing is working, or here's how we got a few deals. And I bought almost $50 million in real estate using none of my own money. So the things that I teach, I am actually doing, and I am actively doing. I'm a real estate investor, 
that happens to coach and talk on social media. I'm not a guru that used to invest in real estate. So I think those are some of the biggest things, the authenticity and the the thing. I actually do what I say and I actually teach what I do. And then, you know, the fact that real estate is, you know, sexy to everybody. They understand that it's a very, very good way to invest. I just don't know how to do it. It's interesting because I always use the word authenticity for this podcast because I mean, like, you can't come on this podcast and not be authentic. You know, I mean, it, it's about talking about, you know, loss and stuff. So I always tell people that, you know, that's really the the word, but I definitely don't have that number of followers. So it's something much more than authenticity. Let me ask you, what's the difference between what people get from, let's say, if they're a keen observer of your social media and they're, they're following your posts and they're learning from you versus, you know, working with you and in, in your products and services, what's the difference? I mean, obviously they're getting some value in the social media. What's the additional value that they get from then, you know, joining in? Yeah. So social media, I take that as like the top of the funnel approach. Just help as many people as I can provide actionable value to get, you know, a number. It's it's all, it's all a numbers game and it's all a funnel. So I do my best to provide as much as I can. I don't hold anything back, but once you get inside the community is what I like to call it. It used to be a coaching program. It used to be a mentorship. It used to be a program. No, it's a community because with technology, with where AI is going, I have that in the community. It's information is going to be completely devalued. Everybody's going to be able to know anything they want very, very quickly that's accurate in detail with just access to the internet. And it's already that way, but I think it's going to get more and more. So that's replicatable. What's not replicatable is implementation. It's holding your hand. It's having a group of like-minded people together, all working towards your common goal. It's being in a room with other people that are going through stuff that you don't even know you're getting ready to go through. So you're able to kind of bob and weave when stuff's coming your way that you didn't know was going to come your way. So it's the, it's the community. Community. It's like-minded people, 1,600 students now in two years. They own over 200 million in real estate. So the proof is in the pudding. We're able to teach people how to do it. And the fact that they get their hand held, they get all the resources they're going to need. They get my growing issues, my growing mistakes, my growing strategies. They get that implemented to them because I'm on the forefront of buying 300 houses a year and buying, you know, 47 million in real estate using none of my own money. So I actually do it. And I think that's the biggest thing is they get that community feel. You get access to other investors that are right where you are, right where you're going to be, where you want to be. And they're, we're all together helping each other. And we really cultivate that. I mean, I think a lot of people dream of having that type of community. And I know myself, it's not easy to do and maintain. There's different components of community. You know, there's, first of all, you know, one component is a dialogue or let's say a discussion, a video call where, you know, can ask anything. There's another one of just being in, in the group and having communications, people sharing things. There's another part that's like, a, there's a learning journey. Okay. You can, you know, take these things. And some communities are just simply learning journey and then it ends or whatever. How would you describe the different components of your community? And like, what, what do you think is the most valuable part of that? Because I mean, you've already mentioned the implementation. I think that that's critical for everybody that information is just just information, but implementation is the part that's the real value. But maybe you could just explain a little bit about the community. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate that. So it took me a couple of years to get to this. If anybody was paying attention, started social media in 2020, doing posting, and then this version of what we have started in, in 2022, basically December of 2021. So you know, I started and tried a few different things and, and tried a few different self-guided courses and coaching courses and it did okay. But what really caught fire is when I introduced what we're still doing today. And that is it's 
like 350 videos that I recorded over an eight month period, they're all three to five minutes long. So if somebody, nobody wants to learn about how to go find a wholesaler and have to watch an hour and 10 minute presentation in their evening, they don't have the time, energy or free space to do it. So if they want to learn something, I have three to five minute videos that they can just specifically go to. And we have AI incorporated in it. There's the search bar. You type in how to find wholesalers, how to find private money lenders, gives you four or five paragraph answer. It links the videos that I recorded that information came from, and it gives you new questions to ask. So there's just a lot of information, that part of it, that's super, super user-friendly and efficient. You don't have to waste a ton of your time to learn something. I tell them, use your limited spare time wisely so you can have unlimited spare time. So that, you know, the information, the videos is one thing. And then it, it's that the Facebook community, 1600 people. I'm inside, a, I, I pay a hundred grand a year to be in masterminds of people that are where I want to go. And those, those, Facebook groups are three, 400 people. There's a question a day, maybe. But my group, you go there, there's five or six questions a day. Most of the questions are answered correctly by other students before me or one of the coaches even get to them. So we have that community feel of you have a ton of people to bounce the ideas off of. Then there's one-on-one -on -one coaching, one of the coaches they have options for. And then there is the group coaching. There's seven group coaching calls a week. There's one women-led, women-only call because there's real estate's a male-dominated space. I have two daughters. I want to help change that. So we have that side of it. And then we have these seven weekly group coaching calls. There's 25 to 30 people on them, maybe 15 to 30 people on them. And that's an hour it's every single day of the week, couple on Thursday, and it's an hour long, hour and 20 minutes where people are bouncing ideas off each other. We're teaching on something and we're asking questions. So it's a lot. And I tell people on the onboarding calls, like drinking from a fire hose, eventually the pressure gets turned down. But I mean, it's all there and we're continuing to add to it. I just added a 82 video module on how to buy midterm rentals because I'm a big midterm rental guy. I think that's the future of, you know, it's like short-term rentals 15 years ago. So anyways, not to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but there's just a lot. If anybody introvert, who wants to just watch videos is fine. Some of them wants to go out and connect and, and do things in person that we have that for them. Some of them wants to be on calls. Some of them wants to sit on a call with their screen off and just be a fly on the wall. That's fine too. So mm. every single person that has the same goal of freedom and is willing to put, you know, a little bit behind it, it's got something for them. And I'm just curious. I mean, you've talked about how it's different from when you started, like, you know, you maybe started with coaching or other things that maybe aren't scalable. And all of a sudden you realize I've got to make some changes here. You also talked about the idea of creating a lot of short videos, which, you know, some people who run groups are good at that. Some people aren't, you know, it seems like, okay, that's a skill that you've got. So make sure that you maximize on that. I'm just curious that if, you know, forget all that you've done up to this point. Let's imagine that you were at time zero to start a community. And I'm asking this for myself and for my listeners that you were going to start a community from time zero. You know, you're not going to have a, you're not going to have a huge volume for the first six to 12 months. And then after that, it grows. Knowing what you know now, how would you start that community? I would start it pretty similar to how I started this rendition of what's working, right? Because I, I took kind of all the failures that we talked about. So I would probably start it out with, I like those bite-sized calls. People love those. They're able to, you know, it's like wholesalers, right? You know, people that sell real estate, there's like eight videos on it. So what is a wholesaler? How to find them? how to make them work from you, how to negotiate. So that's those videos. So they're broken up into bite size. So you can watch for an hour, but yep. you can watch sections as you go. So I would do that, make it bite size, make it so people actually use it. If they're an hour long videos or like people are going to watch part of it, they're going to forget. And the key to being successful is your students winning, right? Your mm -hmm. students actually being successful in buying real estate and telling their friends and posting about it. So 
And that's the whole purpose was how can I make them win? How can I make it so easy for them? They can search anything they want and they get my brain 24 seven inside AI. They get short videos. And then we started with two weekly calls that were 10 people were attending each. Then we, as we grew, I want to keep it intimate and I want to keep 15 to 20, 25, like I said earlier. So I just pay more coaches, have more calls and make it where it's always a call volume is not an issue. You're never not going to have your answers heard. So that's the biggest things that I feel I kind of repeat myself a little bit, but that's what I would do. And that's why, because I want to make it so my students win. We hired a community success manager. They have 30, 60, 90 day check-ins with the students. So it's something that it's took a long time to get here. I used to try to sell this dang thing for 2,500 bucks, one-on-one coaching with me. And I couldn't even sell it. And I was the sales guy. So it, it wasn't, it was just, it took a while to get here. Now, obviously I'm not on the sales calls. I do a little bit of coaching, but I have coaches hired. So I think it's one of those things. The key I think is keeping it easy to access, keeping it bite-sized, but keeping it intimate as well as it grows. Cause I tell the people, all the people in there, the bigger this gets, the more value there's for you. There's going to be more people in your city. We have students in all 50 states, like 180 in Texas. So mm. like the bigger, the bit more students in Texas have, the more they're going to connect and do deals together. So keep it intimate, but grow it and scale it to add more value. That's interesting about the localization, because as an international guy, I have people that come to me and ask me, okay, I'm in France. How do I follow your investment style here? And okay, it's a little bit more complex, like, you know, related to taxes, related to ETFs, related to all that. And so if I have another student in France, they can say, oh, I've already gone through that. And here's some of the options that I've found. So that, you know, and a student who can contribute into a community like that is really feels like they're part of that community. So that I can definitely understand that. I like what you said about, you know, students must win. I wrote that down. Because I think one of the big mistakes is that you just can't dump people in a room and say, all right, figure it out. There's got to be a pathway. There's got to be winning or else people just won't hang out for long. So that that's interesting. What are people paying? What If somebody wants to learn more, or they want to go and, and see more, where do they go for that? Yeah. So fasterfreedom.com, they can send me a message on Instagram is the best way to message me because I'm, I still answer the DMs and I'm still in there. I got, you know, almost 600,000, but I still answer those DMs. That's the best way to do it. And, and I used to like kind of shy away from the price. It's 9,500 bucks. It's a lot of money, mm. but it's 9,500 bucks to efficiently learn the best way to do this. I tell people, and I a hundred percent believe it. You probably do too, to a certain degree, yep. you're going to pay for the education either through inefficiencies and maybe not making as much profit as you could, or maybe losing money or not making as much cash flow as you could, you're going to pay for it either way. This way you're paying for it up front so you can be a little more efficient and follow that groove path. So 9,500 bucks, lifetime access, which everybody tells me not to do. Mm. Like we throw the whole kitchen sink at it because I want them to win. That is so just real quick, you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you real quick. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I, I started and I was trying to make money and that's part of the reason why it failed, right? I was trying to create another income stream and then my other income streams took off and I was like, all right, let's focus on helping people. That's the only goal, help them be successful. That's my goal. That's all I care about. If they want a refund, I give them the refund. If they like, if they aren't happy, they're not, oh, I don't care. I want you to win. And that's when I started to make more money. Not that I knew what to do with, I'm not like F you money, but I started to make more money than I ever thought I would when I stopped chasing money and started chasing solutions for other people. And it only got to that point after, you know, I, I failed at trying to make money. So anyways, I think that's a good lesson for all businesses, honestly. So I just want to throw that in there. I know you didn't ask, sorry. No, Sometimes I go. no, I mean, I'm interested to learn what you're doing. I think I'm my audience too. One other question is, what are the tools? I mean, tools have evolved so much. You know, I use a lot of tools like Slack and I use Thinkific in my case for courses and I use Kartra 
I use a lot of different tools, but what would you say is like the indispensable or the best tools that you use? So the number one I kind of alluded to, so we won't go down it too much, is that AI software. We spend a lot of money and energy on that. It transcribes all the videos, all the new ones, and and makes it all super. So that's huge. It's called Sam Chat, is what we call it. So so that's a huge one. So and we have like calculators. We have a, we do a lot on just simple stuff for newbies. They don't want to be overwhelmed. A lot on Google Docs, you mm-hmm. know, where they can, and Google Google Sheets, where we can create a you know a calculator that they can download and use for themselves with all the functions of hey every single part of a house. We have a cell for it and you put something next to it. And if it doesn't need to put an X through it, it calculates it for you at the bottom with some fluff in there with some holding costs. Oh, that that transfers over to how much is the house worth? Okay, here's what you should pay for it. Assuming your numbers are right, you should be okay. Transfers over to what should the cash flow be? Obviously, you have to enter in, you know, what the taxes are, what the fees are, but you enter in just like six or seven things and it does it for you. So we have done a lot of that through Google Sheets and we're talking about trying to create like our own software that we kind of own through it, but it's just, it works so simple and everybody can get a Google Sheet. So those are some of the main things we use, honestly, is the AI software and Google Sheets. We host it on Go High Level, which is basically, I think like a Kajabi white label kind of thing. So mm. we have a few things that we host it on in general. We try to make it as easy and simple as possible because confusion doesn't sell and confusion doesn't lead to results usually. I'm going to ask the last question on this. I know I've asked a lot because I'm good. I love it. I'm interested in it, but let's talk about top of the funnel, you know, how to, because all that great work to build a community, bring your knowledge all together. There's a lot of people listening who have a lot of knowledge and they love putting that knowledge together and putting into a system and divining a community. I'm not talking about myself, maybe. I saw Uh, that. You know, we love putting it all together and all that, but you know, top of the funnel is the hard part for everybody. And again, let's go back to kind of zero-based thinking. You know everything you know now. Where would you focus your energy knowing that you only have limited energy at the top of the funnel? What would be one, two, three things that you would say, this is what I've learned, this is what I would do? Yeah, and I started out, so I, I screwed at the beginning. I started out with YouTube. It's a good long form platform, right? But it's really hard to grow. I'm not very good at long form content. I've realized that I go down too many rabbit holes like I do here. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I um, never good at YouTube. I started that for like six months and was getting, you know, 40, 50, 80, 110 views kind of thing. Then I started with the short form stuff, which I found out I'm better at. And I, the whole goal is to push them to YouTube. So that's what I did for like six months because I wanted my videos to make, you know, 500 bucks a month and be like rental properties. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I initially wanted was to grow a YouTube channel. That was it. So I probably would have started on the short form stuff a little bit more and created a monetizable tool outside of just YouTube. That was my monetization for the first year, probably. But in general, talking about top of top of funnel, like my advice to somebody who wants to create social media and create a following that's the top of the funnel is it's not going to work for everybody because not everybody is a lunatic like I am and a psycho like I am. Like I legitimately spent 30 hours a week for three, now it's going on three and a half years. Not you look at my screen time, 30 hours a week on social media, posting, analyzing. I'm not super articulate. I slur a little bit and mumble. Like I'm not your prototypical, like it kind of leans into my, you know, my brand. I didn't, I just grew the brand around who I am, but I'm not like super buttoned up, but just posting and constantly putting out stuff and seeing what works. Like I know just quick social media thought, I know 25 videos that will go viral. So mm-hmm. I created a hub and a spoke. I know the concept and I have to create spokes around it that are deliverables. Now I can't overuse them, but I know if I say I'm in $26 million worth of debt 
which costs me $135,000 a month, but brings in $315,000 of rent and allows me to own real estate worth four. That's going to, I just did it two weeks ago. It got 9 million views on TikTok and Instagram. So I, I just can't do it every time, right? So I learned that over three years of trial and error, putting stuff out, nobody watching, seeing what people like. So it takes like a concerted effort from one person like you. You can't. Andrew, you can't hire it out. Like so many mm. people try to hire out social media and it's not them. It's not their brand. It's not authentic. People see right through it. So you have to be committed to do it because I think social media, I get 76% of my signups from social media, 24% from paid ads. So it allows me to have great margins, allows me to like, be connected with the community. They hop on a call. They've been following me for a year. Sales guys can close them pretty easily as opposed to paid ads when they're cold. So anyways, it, it all has worked together unintentionally and intentionally all at the same time because our program is one of the best and bigger ones in the country, especially owned by me, not by a bigger company. So we've gotten pretty lucky and it's been pretty intentional as well because it's, I appreciate you asking questions because it's, it's scalable and it's just getting started. So it's a pretty cool thing that we've done and I'm pretty proud of it. That's a, a masterclass for all of us, you know, in a very short amount of time about community. I've been a financial analyst all my life. So I've been analyzing companies, analyzing stocks, thinking about, is this worth investing in and, and that type of thing. And if you were a company that I was considering investing in, the one question I would ask you that would matter the most to me is, what is your number one constraint to growth? In other words, I want to invest in something that's got 10, 20, 30 years of growth ahead. What is it that constrains you at this point? I think it's myself, probably. I'm involved in everything and I know that and I'm working on building up. That's why on social media, I started this from day one, though. It's not Sam Prim. It's Sam Faster Freedom. So I intentionally put my name so they know me, but then Faster Freedom, I want to build the brain. And that is my goal to have the brand be bigger than me and have other people underneath the brain and not have it all be about me. I'm not that, I don't need attention that bad, right? I would like to not have to do this forever. So I think the biggest constraint is myself. It's built around me. It's built around my brand. If I go away, the company goes away. And that's not a good thing. That's not a brag. That's a bad thing, actually. But we are few years old, we're working and getting away from that. So I think as we grow and I have, you know, people putting out content about other things that roll up to our brand, that roll up with great deliverables based on what we kind of have experienced. I think that's going to allow us to grow. Cause I do think, you know, we're hopefully knock on wood, we'll approach, you know, what, what would that be close to eight figures this year? Gross, not net. We're not talking mm. net, but I think we have a lot of, lot of a headway ahead of that with what we're doing and the brand that we're growing. Cause I have, 500 and I don't know, 60 something thousand on Instagram, but 280 of them are from US based. They're around the country. Mm. because it's, So like I have so much more room to grow my audience and my brain just inside the US. So there's, we're just scratching the surface. It may seem like a lot, but you take a step back and have that perspective we talked about before we went live. And it's, it's not really that much. Right. Have you read the book Clockwork by Mike McCallowitz? Clockwork. No, I know Mike. He did Profit First, right? Isn't that who did Profit Correct. First? Correct. Okay. No, Clockwork. I have, I'll write that one down. Is that, that a good one? That's his newer one. And it addresses kind of exactly what you've just described, how to get yourself out of the business. Also for the listeners out there, Clockwork's a great, definitely a great book. And you can listen to Mike's, my interview with Mike, he was episode 618. And yeah, he is such a freaking inspiration about getting out of our business, you know? And so that's really, and I love his tagline, He's on a mission to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. 
I like that. No, Mike's awesome. I heard him speak at one of those masterminds that I'm involved in. I heard him speak a couple of years ago at that. And I love that book. We do uh, we do book clubs. So I have four companies. We have COOs of each of them. And me and my, the other owner and the four COOs meet every Monday morning. And one of the things we do is a book club. We read a book and we discuss a chapter. So I'll put, I'll put clockwork on there. Yeah, for, defi- uh, definitely, the worth, definitely worth it. Well, fantastic introduction. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Awesome. I appreciate it. So yeah, my worst investment ever is a self-storage deal that we put together. And it was it was, there's a lot that goes into it. Obviously we'll break it down, but it was just, it wasn't the best timing. And it was, and I just did a presentation on this actually on, on my top four biggest mistakes at, at our local meetup here in St. Louis. And this was one of them. And there's just so much that went wrong with this deal. So, it, you know, to round it out, then we can dig into details. It's just a self-storage deal that we bought, that we did some development on, that we didn't raise enough funds for, that we didn't manage properly because our you know mind was focused elsewhere. And it's it's costing us quite a bit as far as lack of income, lack of money, and then the property's not growing in value like it should for us to have our exit plan. So, I mean, I'm sure you get big numbers thrown around. I don't know for sure. My guess is this deal is probably gonna cost us, I would say maybe three to 500,000 of potential like loss and then probably more than that a potential what we could have gained so it's a it's a messy deal that has fingers in all of our other companies and it had the domino effect of all of our other companies so it's quite the doozy and what was it that was attractive to you i mean obviously you don't go into something you know that you realize is going to fall apart or have a problem why were you so attracted to it pubers probably i don't know I, i feel like i don't feel like we're cocky but like overly confident it was a you know, we we weren't even intentionally searching out self-storage. I own apartment complexes and I own single family rental properties and self-storage. I believe in the asset class, but we weren't looking for it. Somebody brought it to us. We crisis said no. COVID hit. They said, yes, we'll take it. We want out. We don't know what's happening. So we took it. And then we just, you know, we're like, all right, the numbers are OK. Let's, you know, get this property fixed up a little bit. And then, hey let's build a couple more facilities because there's some open land on on top of it. So it's just one of those things and we'll get into the details and I can go as detailed as you want, but we just basically, I think just thought we're decent at managing single family rentals and apartment complexes. How hard could self-storage be? There's no tennis, there's no toilets, let's do it. Or, you know, there's no like tennis on site and there's no toilets. So let's just get into it and let's diversify even more. And then we completely lost sight of the ball and completely lost sight of the deal. Mm. So let's summarize the lessons that you learned. How would you, how would you summarize them? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a ton of lessons learned. So the biggest lessons learned for this one is be intentional about what you invest in. You can't be good at everything and we don't want to be good at everything. Like just to kind of run you through the deal quickly here, we bought it and we decided to kind of rehab what was there. It was, you know, pretty junky, add two small buildings. Perfect. No big deal. We threw those up. It was pretty easy, like putting together, you know, like Legos almost. Mm-hmm. And then there was some land next to it. So we were going to do outdoor, you know, just grab a lot, boat and RV storage. So we thought let's this two buildings went so well. We did market research. We're geniuses. Let's do indoor boat and RV storage. Let's put a 255 foot, 20 foot tall building on this land. And we did it and we didn't do it right. We put the middle stuff in first. It created wind tunnels. The building blew down. The back wall, the 255 foot wall blew down one time. And then it blew down two times. And then it blew down three times and it blew across the road and we ended up scrapping it, losing 150 grand just on the materials and labor. And we're like, all right, we'll just get our insurance money, 
called the insurance agent. Yeah, you insured the first two buildings, but you did the third one after the fact. We didn't, you didn't tell us, so this not insured. There's no act of God insurable of this building. All right, there's 150 grand down the drain. And then at that point, this was, you know, probably 2022, we bought $25 million worth of real estate in 13 months. And we scaled our flipping company to 312 flips in one year, flips and wholesales. So we completely let this go. We didn't manage it well. We didn't hire the right people for it. And, you know, it's sitting at 75% occupancy, not producing enough income, barely to cover the construction note and, you know, interest only payment. We're not adding any value for us to get our private lenders' monies back. So we can go into all those details. But the biggest lessons learned were we grew too quickly in our other businesses. We lost sight of this one. We didn't manage it well. And we tried to be good at too many things. It's hard enough to be good at one thing. We're thinking we're experts at three or four and we're just stupid and just overconfident. And the market shifted a little bit at the end of 2022 as well. So learned a lot of lessons. But in general, the biggest one I learned is I don't want to or can't be good at everything. And I need to understand that and realize that and stick in my zone. That's quite a list of lessons. And I'll maybe I'll share one of my observations. And that is like creating a cash flow that is low risk and does a good job at producing what you want is like so hard. And it's like gardening, you know, it's like you got to you know, fix the soil. You got to be in the right place. The sun's got to shine in the right way. You got to put the right plant there. You don't water it for, you know, three days and it's all over dead, you know, whatever. And so sometimes when I look at business, like this type of storage, as an example, it's like, you really want to cuddle that cash flow. You know, you want to, you know, you really want to take care of that because also remember that cash flow is beyond, you know, it means getting recouping what you've spent to get into this thing too. So the idea of minimal investment, maximum cash flow is really where we're at, where we want to be at, something that, that can do that. And then also the idea too that you talked about, you know, you talked about expanding. And I think all expansion has to be thought through very carefully, number one. But what you talked about is expanding beyond what the existing cash flow was coming from into a different structure, a different way that unfortunately wasn't proven. Whereas the existing way had a certain amount of proof there. So one of the lessons from my side is don't confuse a new project with a new offer to the market. Don't confuse that the evidence you have of the existing success has any relationship to the new idea, even if it's right next door and it seems like it's the same type of thing, that's not proof. And I guess that would be my main takeaway. Would you add anything to that? Yeah, I would agree. And I would add a little more to make me look even more dumb. We didn't even really have proof of concept in storage personally. We had proof of concept in flipping and wholesaling and buying rentals and buying apartments. We were just, I mean, we were flying 25 million real estate. It's a lot of real estate in that 13 months period. This was right in the middle of that. So we were doing well in that other stuff. And we just kind of assumed that would translate over to this. So this makes it even worse. So we didn't have proof of concept. We bought this property. And while we work on this property, before we even stabilized and proved that it worked on its own, we decided to do the expansion and buy another self-storage facility about 10 miles away from it. So we hadn't even proven it once. First off, we weren't even intentionally going after it. 
It fell on our lap, so we didn't have any intentionality there. And before it was proven, the fact that everything else was going so well and the market was, I mean, wind at our back after 2020, are you kidding me? That was insane. We, you know, just assumed that it would translate into that asset class and then also doubled or tripled down on that asset class before he proved it one time. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of lessons learned. The wind literally was at the back yeah. of your building. Back. Yeah, exactly. Right through the back of it, you're right. It's another lesson my mom said to me, you know, it said to us when I, we were kids, which is just because it's cheap doesn't mean you have to buy it. And sometimes we have to be careful when we put out a price for something, it's refused and then somebody comes back at a lower price, immediately we want to bite on that, but that may or may not be the right thing to do. So let me ask you, based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, let's now imagine someone facing exact same type of deal in your community, you know, somebody out there listening in my community, what's one action that you'd recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? I mean, I would say exactly what you said. Don't just buy something because it's cheap. I would have avoided this deal. We, we've, we've been trying to sell it, but we're not producing enough income to sell it at enough of a profit to get our money back plus the private lender's money in the deal. Now we're still paying them their monthly fees, but we have to create enough equity to give them their equity back. I'm sure you understand that mm. in too much detail for the audience, but you know, yeah, I would not have done the deal. I would have focused on, I know we're good at, there's so much room to expand in single family and multifamily. Like, what are we doing? Like I own almost 50 million in real estate and I fly on a plane and I were in the air and I'm like my wife or one of my employees who I'm with, I'm like, you see our 50 million in real estate. That's like those four blocks. It's nothing. You know what I mean? like in the grand scheme of thing. So like, <laughs> I just think, yeah, it's, it's literally nothing. So what are we doing there? So I would say, focus on what you know, what you're good at. And if it's a, something like real estate, there's un, literally unlimited potential. So that's what I would tell someone is don't even get into this. Like we hired a company, we're, we're spending a little bit of money to get it managed properly, get it up to 90% occupancy with six months from now. I think we should ran the numbers knowing what we know now. We should be able to, you know, get our money back and pay everybody back and be fine. Cause you know, there's no like, hammer to get everybody's money back. Mm. So we'll be okay, but it'll come at uh, some cost of a lot of other things and constraints and our time focus here to fix this while we're not focused somewhere else. So focus on what, you, what you're good at and what's proven. Scale, yeah. Scale what you're good at and what's proven because the scale is so enormous. What's a resource either of yours or any other resource that you'd recommend for our listeners? Yeah. I mean, I would just recommend everybody to just take advantage of everything that's out there. I mean, there's a ton of resources. Like, obviously I have, you know, my podcast, The Faster Freedom Show, where Luke's and I, my business partner and I go live for three hours a week, an hour and a half Wednesday, hour, half Friday. Take advantage of all the free stuff. Just it doesn't have to be mine. But when mm -hmm. I got started in 2014, there's Bigger Pockets podcast. That was it, that at least that I knew about. Now there's so much information out there. Take advantage of it and just, I feel like when people have a base level of knowledge, they create a base level of confidence that allows them to take action. They understand certain things. They're going to go to a meetup. They're going to ask questions and they're going to be able to absorb the information. So use technology, use what's out there and just get a base level of knowledge and then go out and take action. Because the best of the best, my, I feel like my communities, there's second to none. Maybe there's other that are as good. You're only going to learn 20% by watching. You have to go do it, but you have to get the confidence to go do it. So take advantage of all the resources out there. This I love this podcast. This is mm -hmm. great stuff like this. And just, you know, get that confidence built up to go take action because obviously no one's probably going to take action if they don't have some confidence. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll have links to everything that Sam's doing in the show notes so you can definitely go follow him. Last question, what is your number one goal for the next 12 months? 
my number one goal for the next 12 months is to scale my education business to where I add to the potential that I think that it can have. I'm going to create some reoccurring revenue things, not just one-time only things, and, and really grow this business because this business has the highest scalability, the highest ceiling out of all the businesses. It's not even close. So my goal is to get this scaled so then I can start to focus on other things. So that's my goal. Exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. As we conclude, Sam, I want to thank you again for joining the mission. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Not a ton. I think you're great at articulating it. The one thing I would say is you're not going to be successful without failing. I don't know one person that has created success without failing multiple times. Failure is literally a stepping stone on the path of success. If you're not failing, you're not on the path of success. So figure out how to fail. Just don't do the same mistake again. Learn from it. So if you avoid failure, you avoid success. Wonderful advice. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside. <laughs>